0: Imagine for a minute that you are a funeral director at a funeral home. And so as a regular part of your job you receive calls that someone has died. And after receiving that call you now have to call someone you've probably never met before to talk to them not only about their spouse, family member, or friend who has just died, but also about the plans for that person's funeral. That, that can't be, an easy conversation.
1: When you when you first start taking those phone calls, it's, you're really 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 nervous because you could say the wrong thing and just you know take somebody to the edge or tick them off or anger them, and you definitely don't want to do that. But the wording is crucial when you make that first phone call. Uh, you just try to comfort them during that time the the main thing for me as i kind of grew in, in that field was uh not trying to uh relate to the individual or the family as they grieved not saying that i understand what you're going through because each death is different and each family dynamic is different and every relationship is different so to broadly say that you understand what somebody's going through is is not a very helpful or uh accurate statement. So just relaying to the family that you're there for them in that moment is what I felt that came across a little bit more accepting and more comforting than uh, trying to put my own narrative into their, their narrative.
0: While Jesus's conversations with both Martha and Mary aren't in the immediate aftermath of Lazarus's death, the conversations we find between each of them and Jesus do represent the first time they are able to talk to Jesus after Lazarus has died. And there's certainly a narrative that that has already formed for Mary and Martha. They are convinced that had Jesus been there sooner, Lazarus would still be alive. And that belief, that statement, holds within it a vast array of emotions and beliefs. On the one hand, it's a statement of of bold and incredible faith and trust. It's perhaps even presumptuous, we might say. But depending on how you read those words and the emotion and the tone that you hear in them, it's also a statement potentially full of frustration, hurt, disappointment, And anger. Of course, what Mary and Martha don't know is that Jesus has arrived in Bethany, fully intending to raise Lazarus from the dead. In fact, his his expressed purpose for waiting to come seems to be so that Lazarus would basically have time to die. That way, according to Jesus, what is about to transpire provides a teaching and faith-building moment for his disciples. Before they leave for Bethany, he tells the disciples, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so they do, they go to him. And as you heard earlier, Martha goes out to meet and talk with Jesus first. And after she begins by, by stating that in her mind, Lazarus died because Jesus didn't get there in time, Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day, Martha replies. You might could, could read that also as, I know things will be okay someday. I trust in what God will do in the future, but where does that leave me today? And so Jesus answered her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So Jesus takes a a theological statement about the future, and he turns it into a tangible promise for the present. Martha believed that, that God could do something for Lazarus someday, but that didn't seem to give much comfort in the moment as, as she struggles with this, this echoing thought that won't leave her head that surely Jesus could have done something for him a few days ago. While the promise of the resurrection offered a ray of sunshine, It didn't take away from the fact that her brother's life had been taken from her. And and to her, in that moment, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am today. The resurrection isn't something for you to believe in down the road. The resurrection is instead someone to believe in today. Jesus tells Mary, I am the hope of eternity that you think is out of reach today. I am the resurrection and the life. Not someday, but today. Jesus ends up raising Lazarus from the dead, calling him out of the tomb with the words, Lazarus, come out. And and that miracle points to the present and future life that Jesus offers those who believe in him. In Jesus, we do have the hope of resurrection and life beyond the grave. Death is not the end of our story, and God holds power over even the worst of outcomes in this world. But this miracle also speaks to the power of Christ to bring new life to his followers on this side of the grave. The hope for for Mary and Martha wasn't just for later, it was for today. Now admittedly, that lesson may seem easier to to grasp when the person whose loss you are grieving is miraculously brought back to life literally right in front of your eyes. But I think we can view the scene there as, as this vivid picture of what life in Christ can be. A picture for which Jesus' words serve as the paintbrush for, for the paint that is his calling of Lazarus. Those become the tools with which he crafts this depiction of a resurrected life. A depiction meant to instill belief in those who are there to witness it and to those of us who are reading it. This life that Jesus beckons us to behold is is one in which death holds no power over us because in Jesus' own words, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now, when I initially read those words earlier, I stopped there, intentionally leaving off the question that Jesus asks Martha after making that proclamation. After saying that, Jesus simply asks her, Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And so in her grief, Martha is able to simultaneously hold these two thoughts in her head and even express them to Jesus. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Notably, Jesus never tries to dissuade or even explain away or negate her grief. He doesn't even cut her off by saying, Martha, Martha, it's okay, all of this is going to be over soon. I'm about to raise Lazarus back to life. It'll be like, none of this ever happened. I just, needed these, I just needed these guys to learn a lesson. So, you know, I'm just kind of doing some teaching here. Uh, they just they still don't get some stuff, but, uh, but Lazarus is coming back. Don't worry. He never says any of that. Instead, he joins Mary and Martha in their grief and even in their frustration. In his ensuing conversation with Mary, John tells us that that upon seeing Mary weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now that word there for troubled could also be translated as agitated. So like none of this really sits well with Jesus either. He's struggling and and frustrated and and grieving right along with Mary and Martha. So much so that the crowd that's standing around notices and, and remarks See how much he loved him as Jesus himself begins to weep. You see, coming to know and understand Jesus as the resurrection and the life takes the sting out of death, but it doesn't take the sting out of grief. Instead, it gives purpose and power to our grief. The resurrection isn't just something for which we can hope for the future. The resurrection is someone who faithfully holds our hope today. As Lazarus responds to the voice of Jesus, which which sort of resonates with much of what Jesus' teaching was about in John 10, Lazarus comes out of the tomb still wrapped in his burial clothes. The reminders of death are, are draped all over his resurrected Body And so Jesus says to the onlooking crowd, take off the grave clothes and let him go. For those of us who have been made new and who have been resurrected as new creations in Christ, the call is the same for us. To take off the grave clothes and be set free. To take off the grave clothes of, of sin, of, of shame, of of feelings of, of worthlessness. Those are emblems of our death, not of our life in Christ. And resurrected life in Christ calls us to leave them behind and to be let go in the freedom of everlasting life. Now, even in that newfound freedom, we are sure to encounter moments and seasons in which God does not act in the way that we believe that that he could or that he even should. We may be convinced that if God were really here, things would be different. Things would look different. We may find ourselves in our own I'm I'm not there yet moments. And like Martha, we might find ourselves proclaiming faith in a Christ we know can do something that, that he hasn't done for us yet. And then in those moments, may we remember that Jesus joins us there just as he joined Mary and Martha. That Jesus listens to our cries and and he speaks words of peace to us just as he did for Mary and Martha. And may we find comfort in the stories of Scripture in the testimonies of those around us, and hopefully even in our own stories and experiences of faith. Stories that speak to the faithfulness of a God who we may not always be able to see, but who is never distant from us. There's a moment in John 11 when when everyone on the scene arrives at Lazarus' tomb with Jesus, who is once more deeply moved. And Jesus looks at at this cave that has a large stone in front of it, and he says, take away the stone. But before anyone can get started doing that, Martha speaks up. She says, but Lord, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. And Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God. We're not promised that our grief, our questions, our frustrations, our doubts will be alleviated in the way that Mary and Martha's were on that day. But we are promised that if we believe and give ourselves over to Christ, the glory of God will be revealed to us and within us as well. And so may we have eyes to see it and ears to hear it. May we increasingly come to recognize and experience God's glory as we live out our resurrected life of faith that was birthed within us by the one who is the resurrection and the life. We're going to pray our, our prayer of confession together now, and, and after that, a video will play. And may the Spirit speak to you and move within you through the words of the song that's featured in that video as we share in a time of meditation, communion, and reflection, remembering God's faithfulness toward us, and contemplating Jesus as our life. Let's pray. We confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear Hear us, us, forgive forgive us, renew renew our our resolve resolve to build build the Kingdom kingdom of of Christ. Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, us, forgive forgive us, renew renew our our resolve resolve to build build the kingdom kingdom of of peace. peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. Amen.